Welcome back to Kingdom 101. And for those who are listening in to our SoundCloud recording, we want to welcome you back too. We have taken a break in the month of June and now we are back in July. So thanks for your patience as you waited for a new teaching to be uploaded. This evening, we're going to get into our next session and we're going to start by reading the passage and then we will open in prayer after that. This evening's passage is Matthew chapter 10, verses 16 to 25. Matthew chapter 10, verse 16 to 25. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak. For it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Now brother will deliver up brother to death, and a father his child. And children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in this city, flee to another. For assuredly, I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher, and a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? This is the word of the Lord. Come, let's pray. Father, I want to thank you once again, Lord, Scripture as you have given to us to guide us and to lead us. That, Lord, you have not left us clueless, that we do not know how to move, but, Lord, the words of the King have been given to us. And so, Lord, we, your people, ask Holy Spirit, will you teach us this evening? Will you, Lord, open our eyes, our ears, and our hearts, O Lord, so that we may respond correctly and serve you faithfully? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today's title is Disciple Sheep, and the title is really inspired by the opening and the closing phrases of the text. We started in verse 16, and in that very first line, Jesus says, I send you out as sheep. And then right at the end, he closes with an explanation and an address to disciples, and so we have this word sheep and disciple, disciple and sheep. And so I thought, hmm, disciple sheep might be a good title just to catch your attention. I know the picture of sheep is a very familiar one. We know Jesus is the good shepherd and his sheep will hear his voice. But if you look at this, Jesus then later talks about disciples, meaning to say, if you readily identify yourself as a sheep of this shepherd, then you can't escape from the fact that you too are a disciple of this master. You cannot say, I'm a sheep and I don't want to be a disciple. Or if you say, I'm a disciple, then I don't really like to be a sheep. Both this sheep and a disciple, these two words, I think, will constitute what we understand, at least for this teaching, what discipleship or discipleship is all about. Having given you that little introduction, let me ask you, what is discipleship to you? What is discipleship really to you? Is it a program in the church that we participate in? 
And sometimes it is easy to mistake discipleship as such. Is it a Bible study? You know, today when we talk about discipleship, we say, oh, you must sign up for a Bible study. Or we think, if I sign up for a Bible study, therefore it makes me a disciple. Oh, is it just a fellowship? You know, we come together and so that makes us disciples. What is discipleship to you? And what constitutes, you know, what can you expect if you are a disciple? Hold that question in your heart this evening as we go through tonight's teaching. Because we will explore an aspect of discipleship. You know what that is? Persecution. Persecution. We want to explore this aspect. Something that we'd much rather not talk about, isn't it? We don't like this word persecution. We don't want to talk about the challenges. It's much easier to ignore this passage or to simply rationalize for ourselves and say that, no, la, cannot be. La. It, it doesn't happen to us. Eh? It, it cannot be for us. It's not applicable. However, you know these are the words of Jesus. He's our master. He's our king. And if we truly desire to know the king and his kingdom, we must pay careful attention to everything that he says. We cannot just pick the parts we like and ignore those things that we don't like. Now these instructions which we have just read, they were instructions given specifically to the original team Jesus. We've done a teaching called Team Jesus that these 12 were picked and they were sent out as apostles. But at the same time, we must understand these instructions are also prophetic and applicable to all subsequent Team Jesuses. In our language, we call them Archippuses on Kingdom Assignment. All Team Jesuses throughout the ages, I believe these words are still applicable. At the same time, don't miss the eschatological overtones and implications, especially important for us living in the final days. So as you keep and bear these things in our hearts and in our minds, let's go through. What I will share with you is an overview of this teaching called Disciple Sheep. The sheep will meet wolves. How do we handle these wolves? That's one aspect. Secondly, there will be four groups of people from whom we may expect challenges or at worst, persecution. The third thing, what is the expected response then of disciples in such situations? And finally, what it really means when we choose to follow Jesus and to be like Him. Discipleship. If you're ready, let's begin our journey this evening. You know, as disciples of Jesus Christ, as our keepers, right? I've shared with you a teaching called Works Ahead. If you want to hang out with Jesus, then very soon you're going to be assigned by Jesus. You'll be authorized by Him and you will be sent out for Him. And there will be works ahead. And Jesus has already given all the instructions to say, this is what you must do, this is where you must go and all. And then comes this interesting point. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So not just works ahead. Careful, huh? Got wolves ahead. I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. And don't miss that first phrase, you know, who is the one sending? Jesus is the one. I mean, it's really funny. The good shepherd is the one that sends the sheep to the wolves. Blows your mind, isn't it? 
you would think that a shepherd would be there to protect the sheep from the wolves. Because the sheep are, are docile, you know, they don't run very much. And sometimes you shout at them, they just look at you and then they go back to eating the grass. Sheep are these kind of animals and yet the shepherd sends his sheep into the midst of the wolves. And here's a kingdom tension again that we have to embrace. That yes, there is protection from the wolves, but there is also projection into the pack of wolves. He protects us and He projects us. And you've got to get used to this. Jesus was really describing the reality of what His disciples will face when they begin to move on kingdom assignment. He doesn't mince his words. He's not painting a pretty picture that everything will go well, that everyone is going to love Christians, that everyone will pat you on the back and hug you and say, you're so nice, you're so good one. Make no mistake, there will be challenges. But the promise is that the shepherd, the shepherd of our souls will continue to look after us and protect us. But there will be wolves. Do you realize this is the second mention of wolves in the book of Matthew? The very first mention, you find it in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus referred to the false prophets to say, you be careful, eh? you better know how to distinguish them, how to discern these and identify, because these are like ravenous wolves. They are coming with an agenda. They will be disguised as sheep. They will look like sheep, sound like sheep, smell like sheep, but inside, actually, they are all wolves. And you must learn how to identify these so that you are able to protect yourself and also chase these guys out. In Acts chapter 20, verse 29, Paul warns the Ephesians that after my departure, he says, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And so you see, the first mention in Matthew, the wolves come into the flock. But here in the second mention, the flock is sent out into the midst of the wolves. And so as much as we like to stay safe in the sheep pen, we must be prepared to be sent out, kicked out where the wolves are. Sounds like a suicide mission. Pastorally, I mean, as a leader, we want to keep everyone within the walls of the church. But missionally, we need to release the saints to participate in the advancement of the kingdom. And when the kingdom advances, you and I can expect opposition to come against those sent out on assignment for the king. And so this is a key and this is a reminder for us all. Two things, we must learn how to handle wolves inside the church. And number two, we must learn how to handle wolves outside the church. You thought you came to church to have a nice time, isn't it? Inside also got wolves. Outside also got wolves. In other words, you want to siam, also cannot siam. You want to run away, also cannot. Inside got wolves, outside got wolves. So you must learn how to handle them. For the sake of our foreign listeners on SoundCloud, to siam means to avoid you cannot see them. You cannot avoid There will be wolves. So how do you handle wolves? Part one. Therefore, be wise as serpents. Jesus says, I send you out like sheep into the wolves, but this is how you're going to handle them. You have to be wise as serpents. Now, when we think of a snake, we, we don't have a nice impression, right? We think of negative things 
the very first snake we read in the Bible, we don't like him already. But Jesus uses this animal as an illustration. He says, you be as wise as these snakes. Why? Because the word wise there comes from a verb that the root just means to think, to have a mindset. Now, it's very interesting. Jesus is saying, hello, don't go up there and blah, blah. Don't go out, everything else you believe. You better think. You better have a mindset. You better know what's happening out there. Don't be clueless. Be wise. Be prudent. Be sensible. Be practical in the way you deal with one another in your relationship. Now, this again is really hard. Because sheep, like I told you, very docile. And if you want to be rude, sheep can be very dumb. So what is the master saying? Don't go out there like dumb sheep. Be wise. Don't be gullible. Don't be mindless. Don't be foolish. Don't be stupid. Don't run into danger just because you read a passage called persecution and there'll be danger. He's not saying to do that. He's saying, come on, think, think. Snakes are known to be sharp. Snakes are fast. They can react quickly. They are intelligent. A not-so-positive word might be cunning or sneaky, right? And so in another translation, it says, be shrewd. Ah, shrewd sounds better. Lah. More positive, right? You know how to read the signs. You know what to do. You know when to stay and you know when to run. And snakes will move faster even before a sheep wakes up to what's happening around him. And so when we move on a kingdom assignment, you're called to be wise. You've got to be circumspect. You've got to see what's happening around you. You have to consider all the options carefully. Living by faith does not mean switching off the intellect. You need to be aware of the situation, the condition, the environment, the implications, the significance, whatever it is. You are called to be awake. You are called to be alert. You are called to be on guard. The Apostle Peter wrote it this way. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion. Another predatory animal, right? Like a lion seeking whom he may devour. See, when you look at the church, you could ask ourselves, are we wise? Are Christians wise? You know, a very hot topic now is the LGBT issue. You mention that and everyone gets you know, all worked up because of that. There's so much dissension in the body of Christ. We cannot agree. And you know why? We don't know who the enemy really is and where he is coming from. You talk to the average Christian, they don't even understand the agenda or the strategy of this movement that is diabolical, that is demonic. And so we lump everyone together. We lump the activists. We lump the moderate people together. You know, those who don't really care about living in a gay lifestyle. And, but the activists may not even be a gay. The activists could even be a Christian for all you know. We lump the struggling one together into one big category and then we got one size fits all and then we just say LGBT, uh, homosexuality, sin, sin, sin. We only have one song to sing. We don't even understand anything. The enemy camp is so much more united than the church. And that's why they are moving so smoothly together. You don't believe, you look at how the pink dot has really progressed because they have one united front and they have a strategy and they're moving with it. 
And so instead of being wise as serpents, sometimes where this issue is concerned, we are more like ostriches with heads buried in the sand. We don't want to know. We don't want to talk about it. We just come to church, holy, holy, can already. How to handle snakes, part two. Don't just be wise as serpents, but also be harmless as doves. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Notice Jesus did not say be as dumb as doves or as blur as a bird brain believer. He said harmless, in some translation, innocent as doves. Now, why the word innocent and harmless? The original word is made up of two words. The first word is without. The second word talks about to mix. And so this word actually means don't be mixed up. Be pure. Be unadulterated. So be innocent, be harmless, be blameless, be undefiled, be unmixed. The dove is a picture of purity, a picture of innocence, a picture of simplicity, a picture of gentleness. And so on one hand, you're, you're supposed to be cunning and sneaky and, and shrewd and sharp and intelligent. And yet on the other hand, it's not with guile, right? It's not to be two-faced. It's not to be sneaky until you, one side you say this and another side you say that. I don't think that Jesus was saying that at all. He's saying, be above reproach. Be clear in what your stand is and take that stand. Don't be mixed in anything. Don't be defiled by what the enemy is saying or what this world is saying. And so you look at these two pictures quite opposite. And again, you need to be both if you want to handle these wolves. You are sent out as sheep amongst wolves, but be wise as serpents, but be harmless as doves. But how do you be wise? As in, how do you have this mindset? How do you think? You need to have, first, a biblical worldview. You must have a kingdom mindset. If you don't know what you stand for, then you will fall for almost anything. And I think the challenge for us is, Sometimes we are swing to an extreme of being like a serpent or be so intellectual. Sometimes we swing to the other end of being like a dove and peaceable, nice, don't do anything, gentle. And both are wrong. Jesus is saying you've got to be both. And you have to know how to do this with the people who are outside. But as he talks about wolves, the next line he says, but beware of men. It's almost like telling the disciples, Actually, when I say wolves, uh, actually illustration only, okay? They are really men. They are really people that you've got to be careful with. And there are four types of these men or people that will come against people who are on kingdom assignment. If you mean business, kingdom business, following Jesus as a disciple, then these four groups you've got to be aware of and know how to handle and be prepared for them. The first one would be in the category of religion. Beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. Now, this is very specific. You know that to this group of disciples after Jesus, they were hauled up by the council. That's the Sanhedrin, the highest level of religious leaders in Judaism. When they went into the synagogues, they had problems, right? Paul went to the synagogues and he was pushed out of all this. 
The first opposition encountered by Jesus and the disciples came from the Jewish religious establishment. The early church was persecuted largely by Jews, and interestingly, it was led by this guy called Saul of Tarsus, which later on, you know, he met the Lord and he became Paul, the apostle. But after he became Paul, he got into trouble with who? Religious people. And it was both Jew and Gentile, right? Paul himself was persecuted and arrested by the Jews. But the Gentiles didn't give him easy time either. In Acts chapter 16, you read when he was in Philippi, he cast out the spirit of divination from the girl, which brought profit to the owners. And the owners were very upset with Paul. The next one, in chapter 19, in Ephesus, it was the idol makers who got upset with Paul. When everyone converted and followed Jesus, suddenly their idol business got no more business. No one bought idols from them anymore. And so they stirred up this big thing against Paul and got them uh, into big trouble. Side note, uh, religion can be very big business and very profitable. Just saying, uh. The institutional church burned quite a few saints that they considered heretics at the stake. William Tyndale, today we hold him in such high esteem, he was burned at the stake. The church persecuted Martin Luther and other reformers. You see, the religious institutional establishments, the one that you would think would support you, (laughs) will give you the trouble. Why? This is because religious and institutional agendas will always be threatened by God's kingdom agenda. You think about that. And not only just the church, but other religions also do not always view Christianity kindly. And this should not surprise us because it is a spiritual battle. It is a spiritual battle between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. Take radical Islam, for example. In its most fundamental understanding, they are openly opposed to the Jews and the Christians. And their doctrine, this is open news, everybody knows this, they have to remove Israel and the Jews totally. They cannot exist. And against the Christians also, they have something against the people of God. ISIS in the Middle East, is it gone? Well, it's gone underground. It may surface as something else. It's come into Southeast Asia. It's now in the Philippines. We know it's in Indonesia, in some parts of Malaysia. What about Singapore? Who knows what's going to happen in the days ahead? And so, dear disciples, I am just warning you and warning myself that just because we don't see it today in our little island doesn't mean we will never see it. In the last days, Could there be a global religious system, a one-world religion that will threaten Christians or require Christians to toe the line? Will we be challenged to realign our faith? And if not that, will we be deceived into coexisting with other faiths in the name of interfaith dialogues, ecumenism, syncretism, religious pluralism, Religious harmony. How do we be wise as serpents? How do we be harmless, unmixed, innocent as doves? 
This is the first group that you must be aware of. The second group would be the government. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. I think we know that governments largely, they would want peace and the welfare and prosperity for their people, right? On their own terms. Think about this. Huh? It must be on their terms. Meaning to say, if there is dissension and disruption on the ground, any government will act to restore peace and stability in the best way that they know how. And if Christians are seen to be the cause of such disruptions and, in inverted commas, disharmony, troublemakers, then the government will act against Christianity. Consider the biblical examples. Pilate acted when Jesus was delivered to him. He couldn't find anything wrong with Jesus. He says, look, I've got to release him. There's nothing wrong with him. But he knows if he releases Jesus, there could have been a bigger riot in the province that he is governor over. And he says, Nola, Nola, <laughs> let's play it safe. Let's get rid of this one guy for the betterment of everyone. Herod later on killed James to please the people. City officials imprisoned Paul and Silas in Philippi. Nero later blamed the Christians for the fire, and then later on, he's known to be the one who executed Paul. Can you see this? The governments will want to maintain what they want to maintain on their own terms. And if Christians are seen to be the ones who are the troublemakers, then you or I will be removed. Let's look at communism as, a, as an ideology. Communism or socialism is largely opposed to religion and Christianity. Karl Marx is known to have said this, religion is the opiate or the opium of the people. And later on he wrote this, the first requisite of the happiness of the people is the abolition of religion. Why? Because religion offers the people hope. Religion offers the people something to hold on to, something that's transcendent, that the government has no control over. And religion also directs worship to God. But in communism, allegiance must be to the party. So if you look at communist um, China, Russia, North Korea, you will see that for a time and even today you will notice Christianity is not well regarded. They are still being persecuted. And although they allow them in certain quarters to worship, it's very, very restricted. It must be done with a lot of terms and conditions. Does it mean that capitalism is correct? I mean, we are in a capitalistic economy, right? Type of a government, democracy and so on. Well, it sounds okay. It gives you the freedom to do whatever you want to do and whoever works hard, that's fine. But it's not okay when the focus is shifted to prosperity and greed at the expense and exploitation of others. And so in such a case, you can also quickly become a very socialistic uh, agenda where power is concentrated in the hands of one small group of people with money and means to control the masses. What about persecution through law and legislation? If you look through church history or world history, 
Judeo-Christian influence, and we call it kingdom influence, kingdom values, kingdom principles. These have shaped laws for many centuries, right? Look at Europe, look at United States, all the laws, and even in Asia when uh, it was the British Empire, well, we, much of our laws are because of the Magna Carta. And it's all Judeo-Christian influence. And because of that, there is rule of law, and there's stability, and there's progress. But today, things are changing. Today, governments are being pressured to respond to how people think and what people want. And you know, politics is all about number of votes. And so, laws are being changed to reflect morality as defined or redefined by people. So if morality is sliding, people are beginning to take things into their own hands and starting to redefine truth for themselves, then you can see that if the government bows to the pressure of popular morality, we are in big trouble, huge trouble. Sexuality is under attack today. Gender under attack. Marriage is being redefined. And if you think it's just a personal choice. If two persons just want to get married, then let them get married, law. Uh, if they love each other, it's equal love, right? You know, so everybody has a, has a right to love. You got it all wrong. You're not being wise as a serpent, okay? You're really being an ostrich with your head buried so deep. It's affecting all sectors of society. Relationships are being broken because of this. Marriages are being affected. If marriages break down, families will break down. Homes will break down. Businesses have problems. And the church is also facing a lot of challenge. Just on the way here, I, was, I just saw one article that Canada, you know it approves same-sex marriages, right? That they can now confiscate your child if parents do not allow the child or children to identify their own gender. You think about that. And so if you stand your ground as Christians, you are seen as old-fashioned, narrow, intolerant, unloving, ungracious, bigots. How many of you like to be called that? But if you speak out, it's called hate speech. There could come a time where preachers, pray for us, where preachers could be jailed for reading the Bible and preaching from it and say, this is truth. And they'll come to you and say, who told you this is truth? That's truth to you. That's not truth to us. Against the law, this truth is breaking the law. Will everything be fine if we have Christian governments? It sounds like a dream come true. It sounds like heaven on earth, but is it? Christians would have preferred status after that, isn't it? Isn't it? Wouldn't that be good? Well, it sounds nice, but look what happened when Constantine legalized Christianity in 313 AD. You know, before that, Christians had to run underground, they hide in the tombs, huh? they were persecuted, huh? bad things were done to them. And then Constantine then legalized it and persecution stopped. Churches were built everywhere. Everyone became a Christian because it was the right thing to do and the right person to be. Whether they truly believe in Jesus or not, everyone went to church on Sunday. If you are a pastor and your church grows because of that, don't be too happy. Huh? There were so many Christians, right? Because that's the right thing to do. But were there disciples? 
Political favor, position, power became the order of the day. Over time, within one generation, the church became very rich and also very corrupt. For sure, Christendom and kingdom are not the same things. See, governments are largely secular, Gentile, protecting their own interests. Global economic cooperation may sound right, may look good on the surface, but are we moving towards a one-world government headed by the Antichrist? What does that mean for Christians? What peace would this person promise? What if we say no to certain policies? How do we be wise as serpents and harmless as doves? And what will happen if we are delivered to these authorities? Jesus says that when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak. For it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Let me just say this, my friends. If we have nothing to hide, then we have nothing to be afraid of. We will say what is needed to be said. May the Lord help us, empower us. May the Holy Spirit give us the right words. May we be wise as serpents, harmless as doves. This phrase does not give you permission not to study your Bible and to say, uh, I don't even know anything, but when I stand there, the Holy Spirit will tell me what to say. You need to know your worldview. You need to know your Bible so that you can respond correctly with the help of the Holy Spirit. The third group is this, family. And I would add friends too. Now, brother will deliver up brother to death and a father his child and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. Do you know that this is already happening? It's been happening for years in case you're not aware of. There are religions where family members report conversions to Christianity. Some of these religions, it's about honor. And if you convert or if you renounce this faith, you bring dishonor to the family. You are considered as good as dead. And for them to do the right thing in their minds, in their understanding, in their doctrine, they will report you. They must do that. Because it's for the sake of the entire community that they believe. And so they will report you to the relevant authorities. And some get stoned, some get crucified, some get persecuted, some get run out of town. This is already happening all over the world. Just because it's not happening as obviously here does not mean that it is not there. But as we look at this, and as an extension of what the governments might be doing also in the last point that I raised to you, when we talk about the new world order, and you look at that eye that is there, which is a symbol of a new world order, it, this is called the all-seeing eye. Meaning to say, they know what you're doing, they track you, they know what you say even. Maybe they will listen to this message also. Bless those who are listening to this message. George Orwell, after the Second World War, wrote this satire called 1984. And really he was talking about the communistic or communism, the governments that if they take over, this is what they're going to be doing. They will be tracking you. They will be watching you. So if you've read this story, 
It's called Big Brother. Big Brother is watching you. Now, interestingly, we are living in an age where every move you make is being monitored. Did you know that? Our digital footprint, they're all over. If you're on social media, if you're on a computer, you don't even have to be on social media. You're on email, you're just doing something on a computer with digital capabilities, your apps. Facebook recently was taken to task for the data that they leaked out. Google tracks us all over the place. SG parking, anyone use SG parking? Right? Where you park, how long, they know. You say, no, but it's very convenient. I don't need to tear coupon. Convenience is always something we will buy into, okay? I mean, I use SG parking also, right? So I'm not hiding where I'm going, so that's fine. Surveillance cameras. Do you know every 50, 100 meters, you've got cameras along the road, and it's to track whether we drive carefully or not. So it seems. There are cameras all over the place. Are they tracking, monitoring terrorism threats? In China, they have rolled out something called the social credit system. By 2020, China will rate and rank citizens to praise or punish them for trustworthiness. It's a social system as in if you, um, if you jaywalk, your credit rating falls. If you smoke on trains and you shouldn't be smoking on trains, your credit rating falls. If you buy too many video games because it's bad for you, your credit rating falls. If you don't attend Kingdom 101, your credit rating... (laughs) Now you're wondering, what what has this got to do with family or friends? Now, if your credit rating falls to a certain point, you can't buy things, you can't get a job, You can't get a loan. You can't travel. You can't do a lot of things. If your friend's rating is like that, you become associated with this friend. Your rating is affected too. And so, if you are like that, and I don't want your rating, I will unfriend you. Or I will stay apart from you. Or I will report you. You understand? You see, so, this whole digital system... It's like, everyone will say, but it's good one. You see, then people won't jaywalk. Huh? People won't do this. People won't do, do that. The question is this, and CBS News wrote this. The fear is that the government will use the social credit scoring system to punish people who are not sufficiently loyal to the Communist Party. And trying to clear your name or fight your score is nearly impossible since there is no real due process. So is this called the Orwellian dream, George Orwell, or is it called the Orwellian nightmare? But like I said, if you have nothing to hide, you have nothing to worry about. But the point is this, you can live as nicely as you want, but if it begins to touch value systems and they don't like Christian values, you can get into trouble. The fourth group would be the world or society at large. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. Is it not true that the world already does not view Christians positively? So this statement is not a surprise to us. I mean, nobody wants to be hated. 
Nobody wants to be disliked. Nobody wants to be ostracized. Nobody wants to be called names, much less get whacked, ill-treated, thrown out, persecuted, bashed, whatever. The world will hate Christians. The world already sees Christians as hypocrites, judgmental, narrow-minded. Holy is not a cool trait or label. You don't go out there and you go, holy, hashtag. Yay. If you do that, people will laugh at you. It's a derogatory term. You use that, you call someone holy, usually you don't mean well. You usually mean square box, prude, killjoy, don't know how to have fun, not in touch with the real world. People look at Christians and they think we are stupid and we are gullible. We only give pastors a lot of money to buy a lot of things. Am I correct? You look at the comment thread huh? in our recent saga about the prosperity gospel and whatever has happened. Very mean. Stupid people, don't know how to think. The universities and the intellectuals consider us dumb and non-thinkers because you still believe in a God in this scientific age. And with atheists like uh, Richard Dawkins writing about the God delusion and so on, now, if you stand up and if you're in a university uh, course or philosophy or something and you talk about God, man, they will go against you. Your lecturers have been trained to grill you until you have no place to stand. Your friends might be laughing at you. The media and the movies don't portray Christians very positively either. Every time there's a priest or, you know, someone there, they, they look clueless. They look lost. The LGBT, the camp, the, the supporters, the activists, they see us as haters and as bigots. And sometimes as, as we take a stand like this, I don't know how wise we are. I don't know how harmless we are. I'm, I know we should take a stand, but is this the correct way to, to pick it and to tell people in their face, is this the way to love them? And so to be fair, we might have brought much of these upon ourselves. And so that's why I'm saying there's a need to live as real Christians, to be real disciples, to represent Jesus, our King, and His kingdom accurately and well. But let me warn you, as Jesus is warning all of us, you can do that perfectly. There's no guarantee you will be well-liked or you will be well-loved. Jesus lived the kingdom perfectly. Perfectly. And the world hated him. And so he says to his disciples in John chapter 15, verse 18, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. And so we must be encouraged by that. Now, we don't go out there and get people to hate us. That's not the point. But at the same time, our concern is not how much we please men, but how we learn to please our King, Jesus. And so these four groups, if you look at these categories, I hope I have highlighted things to you so that when you're reading the papers and you're seeing situations around you, you are better positioned to identify it and then ask and learn from one another how to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. 
Thirdly, how do we respond? What is expected of disciples then? Number one, we know we will meet wolves. Number two, we know that these people will come in these four categories of forms. The third thing here is this. Jesus says, but he who endures to the end will be saved. Our part is to endure. It's going to happen. It's going to be difficult. Some more difficult than others. Some we may have it a little bit easier than others. But we are called to endure. And he says, endure to the end because you will be saved if you do that. Once again, Jesus being so consistent. Salvation is not just a point in the past. It is a process. Notice he didn't say, you're already saved, so it's okay, lah, don't worry, lah, just hang loose. He didn't say that. He says, endure to the end. To the end. Either end of your life or the end of the age when he comes. Whichever appears first. Only then you will be saved. His teaching, Sermon on the Mount, narrow way, broad way, right? Choose the narrow way. You'll be fraught with challenges, difficulties, trials, possible persecution. Yet you are to endure, to persevere, to bear through. In the end, it leads to life. But if you choose the broad way, that's the easy way. And many people will choose that. In the end, it leads to destruction. And so you've got a choice still. You see this? Consistent. And that's why we must reframe our view of salvation through biblical lenses. You must read your Bible and understand salvation in the way Jesus and the Apostle Paul, the way they teach it. We are saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. Paul himself said this in Acts 14.22, we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. There is an entering that we have to strive for. And as you do that, it's not going to be a walk in the park. There will be wolves ahead. There will be challenges and battles to be fought. When you move on kingdom assignment, expect the opposition to come against us. And so we endure, we persevere, we stay true, and we finish what we've been assigned to do. But Jesus also said, if needed, flee. When they persecute you in this city, flee to another. For surely I say to you, we will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. And once again, here's this tension between being like a snake or being like a dove. There's a time to stand and there's a time to run. And wisdom is needed in either situation and God's leading as well. You look at the Apostle Paul, he did both. There are times where he said, I will stay, and he gets whacked. And there are times he says, I'm going to run, and he runs. And so you can't look at someone who stays and you say, oh, so silly, uh, so stupid, uh, can run, don't want to run. And you cannot say someone who runs, uh, you say, wow, you're very, Jesus says snake, dove, no, not chicken. Eh. <laughs> it's not for you to say, it's not for me to say. You've got to seek the Lord and you've got to act according to how the Lord leads you. Do you know this person? His name is called Eric Little. You know him as the runner, as the Olympic champ. But do you know what happened after that? He went to China as a missionary. And he served there together with his wife, and he had two little girls. And the Second World War, Japan invaded China. 
And although Eric Little could have left, the mission agency said, look, we're going to pull you guys out. Eric stayed on his kingdom assignment as he sent his pregnant wife and two girls back home. Things didn't work out well. The Japanese arrested them, put them in an intern camp, and finally, Eric Little died without ever seeing the wife, the two girls, and the newly born. As I watched the movie on Wings of Eagles, or another title is The Last Race, after that, Serene and I, we struggled with this kind of a decision. <laughs> and we with children of our own, I, I don't know how to respond. And of course, she would ask a very practical question. My wife asked her, is, is it responsible? I mean, now you leave the children fatherless and the mother, you know. I don't know. What can I say? My question for myself is, if God asks me to stay and send my wife and children away, would I do it? If my kingdom assignment required me to take a difficult decision, would I do it? So it's not for me to point a finger at this person or point a finger at that person, nor for you. My question for us is, if the Lord requires you to do something that might be difficult, would you do it? And so finally, as we close this final point, Jesus says in Matthew 10, 24, He concludes this section, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. And here, this final point is that we're expected as disciples of Jesus Christ. Why? Because Jesus Himself set an example. I mean, you cannot say, Jesus, you didn't do it. No. Bible prophecy prophesies that Jesus would be like a lamb led to a slaughter. Before He would send the sheep out, He Himself was sent out amongst wolves. And as He was amongst wolves, He was as wise as a serpent as He answered the authorities. Very sharp, very astute. But at the same time, He was as harmless and as innocent as a dove. He didn't compromise. They couldn't find anything wrong with Him. In fact, they had to falsify something against Him. And so, as disciples of Jesus Christ, we are to be like Jesus. If it happened to Jesus, it can well happen to any one of us. This is par for the course. And Jesus says, if he was regarded like Satan, Beelzebub was like a title for the demon head or the demon master, what more his followers? So if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, this is something we've got to embrace. We've got to prepare for something like this. But this is only for disciples. Nah. So are you a disciple? Because many people read this and say, disciples, wow, thankfully, I'm only believer, I'm not disciple. <laughs> See, and then we quickly rationalize, is it not? And that's why when the church calls for our discipleship program or discipleship class, huh, nobody wants to sign up. Because disciples huh, get all this, né? expected of them, you know. But hello, it's a package. You cannot pick the promises and reject the persecution. If you don't want this part, then the rest of this section, you've got to cancel everything in your Bible. It doesn't apply to you. But if you are a sheep of this shepherd, then you are a disciple of this master. 
But does it mean that everyone will experience persecution to such a degree? Maybe, maybe not. But we should all be prepared for such an eventuality. Maybe not today, but who knows if it will happen tomorrow. Will we endure or will we compromise? Will we boldly declare and proclaim the name of Jesus? Or would we be part of the great falling away that precedes the coming of the Lord? But as we ask this, we must ask also another question. But it's okay, what if we are not experiencing persecution? Crazy question to ask, right? Because disciples were, so there should be persecution. Well, firstly, can I submit to you? We must examine our own lives and our discipleship. Paul said this to Timothy. Yes! And I think it was emphatic in the Greek. Yes! And all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, discipleship, will suffer persecution. So maybe nobody knows us as disciples. Maybe we're not taking a stand. Maybe we're not moving on kingdom assignment. Because if we are really moving in the things of the kingdom, my Bible tells me the kingdom of darkness is not going to take it sitting down. That kingdom will mobilize the wolves and the men. In some crazy way, it will come against us. But that said, you don't have to look for persecution just to prove that you are living godly. But what we can do right now, especially when we are in such a favoured position in our little island called Singapore. We can pray for those who are suffering persecution. We can be more aware. We can be more understanding of what's happening in Nigeria, in Israel, in the Middle East, you know, in China. Instead of worrying about whether our, like this morning, uh, Singtel had an outage, like we couldn't get internet, you know. I, I, it's like, oh dear, I can't check my email. Instead of worrying about things like that, how about the children who have no food, the wives, the women who are being raped, people who are being hacked for the, for the name of Jesus? We can pray. We can sow into ministries that support that. And so we bring this to a close, my friends. And I ask you a question about discipleship. What is discipleship to you? Are you ready to be sent out among the wolves? It's either you go and meet them or the wolves come in and meet you. Be wise as serpents, be harmless and innocent as doves. And I agree and I acknowledge that this might have been a rather difficult passage or a message to handle. Thankfully, this is not everything that Jesus said as he sent the disciples and the sheep out. His assignments come with his assurance. And that is what we will explore when we come back next for Kingdom 101. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are worthy of all praise and all glory, of all honor, all worship. And Lord, we don't want just to say that to mean the songs that we sing, the nice things that we receive, the comfortable lives that we live. We want to say that meaning we will do all that you ask us to do. We will go where you send us to go. And we will embrace anything and everything
because we are your disciples. Lord, we acknowledge it may not be easy. There may be fear in our hearts. But I thank you that you have not left us alone. You are with us and you will enable us. So as we bring this to a close, Lord, assure us once more, even as you prepare us for the next teaching, let not fear and anxiety rule the hearts of your people, but let Jesus, the one that has conquered all, reign supreme in us, that in the end, no matter what happens, we know that we are victorious. And so we thank you, we bless you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.